This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Welcome to episode 12 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's great as always to be here with you. My guest this episode is Stefano Intellisano, a great keyboard player from the US, formerly from Italy as well, uh, who's played with the who's who of artists over the last decade or more. As you'll hear during the interview, he's got some great insights on not just gigging but working with band leaders and a whole bunch more i think you'll enjoy this one a great deal hi stefano thank you so much for joining us on the keyboard chronicles Thanks for having me. Um, and for our listeners' sake, before the show, I did have to um, warn Stefano that my accent can be a bit difficult to understand. So you're going to hear me try and talk a little bit more slowly because I've certainly had that feedback from previous guests, this damn Aussie accent. So, yeah, thank you for putting up with it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to try my best, man. <laughs> That's right. Um, so... I firstly wanted to ask in these challenging times, and I asked our last guest, is how, how are you uh, coping with the lockdown at the moment? Are you keeping busy? Actually, it's really weird. It's such a mix. Maybe a lot of people can relate to this. Uh, you kind of form some kind of routine in this lockdown, and then you break the routine, and then someday you get up, and you feel like completely turning it upside down, and... You, you know, you, you you try to connect with yourself as best as you can and probably get a lot of things done that you haven't before and uh, also try to be good to yourself. So mm. it's a it's a balance, I guess, between the two. That's right. And, and it's interesting, uh, the routine thing, as you said, it, do, it does upset. So are you a bit of a night owl or more of a morning person? Well, I would love to be a morning person because I love early mornings and uh, sunrises and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, I I end up being a night owl. I think my body is accustomed to years yeah. of late night gigs, and my body sometimes dictates what goes. So that's right. You know, I try to bend the rules sometimes, but. Um, also, I find that uh, creatively, um, the night still has some strong influence. Sometimes you get caught into ideas that unfortunately come to your mind at two in the morning and yeah. uh, find yourself there sitting there until four. Your back is hurting and yeah. you're dehydrated. And you're like, why in the hell I'm not I'm not doing this? At, you know, but. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I don't know what you. it is. No, I, th- I think yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are far from alone. Um, so yeah, I th- yeah. thought we might start off, um, Stefano, as far as your early history. So what, what led you to getting involved full-time in music and, and the start of getting you into the career that you have now? Well, um, I have to thank my parents for taking me to piano lessons uh, at an early age i would say that the very first memory i have of first of all i would say that in my house it wasn't one of those households where you would 
hear music played by your parents, my parents. Yeah, I always hear my parents play the Beatles at home. The you know, so I grew up listening to these records. There were basically no records played at my house. Mm. There was really not a whole lot of music. There's no musicians. My mom took some piano lessons when she was a kid, but uh, that's pretty much it. So really, I would you know grew up in a little town in Italy, just outside of Milan. And uh, my grandmother that was in the house would take me to church with her. And uh, that's really my first encounter with any music was the music that was sang at Catholic Church. Mm. Uh, so the pipe organ or sometimes just the uh, old uh, Gregorian tradition chants, capella okay. and that kind of environment is my first encounter with music. And uh, and then from there, I would come home and play some of these melodies by ear at a very early age, maybe four or five. And that kind of like prompted my parents to take me to take piano lessons. And that's how everything started. Okay. And I, I just have to ask, as, um, did you ever have the opportunity since then to play a pipe organ? Because I've always wondered what a pipe organ would be like to, to play. Yeah, it turns out that time I became fast forward by the time I was maybe 15 and I was studying classical and I was uh, doing pretty well, you know, there were some local uh, really great um, characters that would teach uh, piano with very interesting personal stories and uh, um, really good, really good classic background, old school backgrounds, nothing compared to the modern schools of music or modern programs, you know, mostly uh, conservatory, following very, very rigorously conservatory programs. Um, But anyway, the the local organist uh, had to be drafted. uh, We had the military draft that was obligatory. And so the other kid that was playing uh, that was playing any piano in a fifteen hundred people little town in the country was me, and so I started playing organ on Sundays. And, uh, I have great memory of, of of those of that experience. It was the first time of being really put in an ensemble mm. where you had to accompany, you know, the whole celebration, the whole uh, um, ceremony, basically. That's really interesting as far as the discipline of that. So did you each Sunday perhaps have different songs that you had to learn over a period of days? Yeah, I had to basically there was there was a whole, you know, uh, Catholic mass is uh, 40 it was 45 minutes on the dot, very <laughs> regimented, very much always <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much the same um uh, series of of um, chants and uh, and um, same ritual that you would have to learn. So you would sit down with the priest, and besides the the pipe organ, the, the era that I come from near Milan is a great uh, is an area where there were great organ builders, uh, Amati, Lingiardi. They're all um, really all these little t- uh, have mostly churches with this little treasures uh, that are unfortunately falling apart for the most part, but sometimes they get restored. And uh, that's what just happened in the case of that old organ, actually, recently. And um, and so, yeah, I would be at times up there on the pipe organ, and the choir would be completely on the other side of the church behind the altar. And I would have to even coordinate the attack because of the delay of the distance, yeah. you know. So, and and now I would have a mirror that I could see what was going on behind me, basically, because I would, you know, my shoulders would be, uh, I would be facing the the wall playing the organ. And it's an interesting experience for for a kid to be thrown in that kind of. You know, it's something that you're familiar with, but then all of a sudden you sort of graduate to get that position. And yeah. so, and so, I mean, that, 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 interesting. Is, that is a big responsibility. So how, how did you go from doing that to getting it actively into the music scene and, and starting to work in that as your career? 
Well, the mentality back then was very much, and maybe it still is, um, but a lot less. Um, yes, learn music, but don't even think about, you know, doing this for a job because you're going to starve to death. And, uh, you know, there's some truth in there maybe, but <laughs> it was highly discouraged. And I would say highly discouraged even from the teachers themselves. It was really not very uplifting. So it wasn't even a, uh, you know, a, um, you wouldn't even consider doing that full time. Yeah. So I, I've, I've always been good at... Um, visual arts which is what more you know my family is has been about so i studied architecture and uh, i was studying architecture in milan and music was still going and i was starting to play with the first bands and and and, and the two started fighting so you know it was hard to play gigs at night my mm. you know late teens to early early 20s and and going to class in the morning and Finally, I got to a point where the two were really fighting and uh, I had to pick something because I was exhausted all the time by trying to accomplish something on both ends. And uh, at that time, kind of uh, something happened that sort of threw the, the, the weight of that scale on one side. And that was that a band that I was involved with. It was my main band in Italy named Chicken Mambo, which was led by Fabrizio Poggi, uh, which is uh, was a Grammy-nominated blues artist um, a couple of years ago. Um, he, basically, that band had been coming to the U.S. to record in Austin, Texas uh, previously, and uh, I had a chance to come with them and meet uh, the studio owner and play some gigs in the U.S. I had never been overseas, so it was an very exciting adventure and that led to me being hired basically by the studio owner at the time uh to to come and stay he offered me a to to get me a work visa and and paperwork and at that point architecture became uh you know <laughs> it became sort of oh, let's take a break from this for a year let's see how it goes then a year became two years three years and now you know it's it's it's, it's been a memory. Yeah, that's right. So I assume um, there's no desire to go back to architecture. <laughs> well, you know, at times there have been. I still have a great love for design, yeah. and uh, that's what I wanted to really do was industrial design. And uh, um, I kept that, that sensibility. And uh, I would say that a lot of what I've learned in architecture school can totally be translated in uh, music environment or compositional environment or music mind um, i'm sure there are a lot of commonalities but uh, no there have been times you know the music career has ups and downs the downs sometimes yeah. suggest eh, architecture maybe that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point uh, well let, let's talk about your current career so um, we quite often have guests that have played with a wide range of artists, but I'm going to make the claim that you probably win out so far as far as the huge variety of people you've played with. Um, so to cover that all would, would be impossible. So I'm just going to probably focus mm -hmm. on three artists from different eras um, that you've played mm -hmm. with and probably just get a little bit of insight from you on on playing keyboards with those people so i'm going to start with the oldest era which is obviously steve miller and i know for you this, that goes back a little way too doesn't it since you last played with him yeah yeah it was uh honestly it was just a couple of times with steve um he made uh an appearance in austin i think he comes regularly to play a benefit and I was hired to just, uh, he couldn't bring his band and right. I was just backing him up. But it was interesting to spend a full couple of days chatting. And interestingly enough, uh, Steve is another one that studied architecture and ended up being oh. a musician. It's very interesting. Yeah, we were chatting and I found that out. Um, and then I happened to... Um, when I played with Bodines, uh, we opened the show for him. Um, we opened uh, for him at a festival, and again, it was a great hang. And uh, 
you know, you can imagine he has always all the stories. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you see, I've always had the impression that he is a one of the true band leaders. So does he is he quite um, not demanding, but is he quite exacting in what he expects from his musicians? Yeah, I would say that uh, um, in that kind of situation, let's say when you're hired for one show mm-hmm. to back someone up, um, you know, uh, without knowing anything, you show up with the, uh, your best um, attitude and you just have to listen and immediately um, immediately connect on many different levels. So really pay attention to what goes beyond the words of what he's asking. So you can read the person when he's on stage and everyone has a different style of communication. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bit of experience, you can quickly assess. It's very important that you do, you deliver whatever is required quickly. So you can't get lost in details or in whatever you would want gear wise you can't hear yourself, forget all that. Just get the man what you think mm. that he wants um, immediately. If he says, I want that line, you know, forget about everything else. Focus on that line he's asking you because that's probably what he's really missing out of, you know, what's going on there. So it's this sort of trial and error um, process, which is beautiful, that happens more or less in real time. Yes, yeah, and that that's an yeah. interesting point. So, and, and it's interesting too that you mentioned you opened uh, the Bodines opened for Steve because that was the second of the three acts I obviously wanted to talk to you about um, because that's still an active project for you. And and from my viewpoint, as I said before the show, I've been a Bodines fan since the eighties. So t- mm-hmm. tell me about yeah. how you came to to join the Bodines, um, and just as an aside, um, at what the relationship there is with um, the Bodines and Kenny Aronoff. But let, let's talk about the Bodines first. Yeah, um, I joined them. I would say it's about seven or eight years ago, and uh, uh, it's very simple. There was a vacant spot for keys because uh, there have been two main. Um, good friends of mine actually from Austin that have been uh, uh, filling that chair through the years. Uh, and at that point, uh, they needed someone on a regular basis and my came, my name, uh, came up and, um, you know, I would say in my experience, these auditions, uh, most of the time happen on a very, um, informal level, uh, by a referral, by voice so you basically throw a rehearsal fill it out see how everything goes and everyone can quickly assess you know where things are at after playing together for for an hour or so and uh, things started like that and um yeah it's my main uh uh engagement at this point is with them there's been a um it's been definitely a continuous thing for the last few years. And uh, the level of touring has not been so great that would uh, completely um, take all my time. So it would yeah. still allow me to do other things, especially in Austin, which is a very, has a very nice, vibrant music scene. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've always been involved with a number of things there of of different kind, but still be able to tour regularly, which is which is um, really a really a privilege to pick. Mm. Do I want to keep my residencies in town or do I want to get on the road? For a while, I was able to keep the balance going until uh, the residencies need to be residencies. So yeah. if you're gone over a certain amount, at some point you got to let them go. Yeah, so. that's right. And um, for our listeners that are into the, that are international, particularly in Europe, can you explain the Bodine's style of music? So, it, it, I mean, I love it to bits, but it'd be nice to hear it from you. What what, what are the Bodine's, and and how do you fit in as a keyboard player? Well, um, 
I would say that the word Americana, which is sometimes abused and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to really explain what Americana mm. is, uh, but it fits really well the genre of what the Bodines are. I would say rock is the first genre that comes to my yeah. mind. And you mentioned Kenny Aronoff. That <laughs> fits really well with yeah. that. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Americana rock is is probably the combination that I can uh, summarize that band as. Um, this got some Irish music influence, uh, uh, blues of of course, and uh, folk. Uh, it's got all these different sides that that go around the Americana yeah. tradition. So yeah, and it's yeah, it's incredible. I do highly recommend um, people have a listen to a, a range of their albums across the years because yeah, it is incredible. And so just on and your keyboard playing with that band, how would you uh, how would you uh, summarize your role within that band? How, what's your key? Well, I would say that the keyboard in the band has always been. Uh, like it happens in a lot of uh, bands of that genre, uh, of gluing things mm. together. Um, so uh, lots of pads, lots of sustaining uh, a rock rhythm, steady rhythms, uh, steady grooves. Um, there's a great attention to um, tempos mm. and grooves in that band. Um, and I would say that in the years, it's been a very consistent, as far as gear goes and as far as parts go, they evolve over a very long time. Maybe we try to do an acoustic version of a song or things tend to morph and change organically um, over a, a long period, period of time. Uh, that's one of those bands that has tried to keep the songs really consistent for their audience in order to be recognizable. The audience wants to come there and dance. And, uh, you know, Midwest-based uh, audiences can be pretty rowdy. And uh, I think they need, <laughs> they need their, their rock show to be consistent. But sometimes you can bend things and uh, serve songs you know, in in a different uh, fashion, a little bit, but without getting too detached from what the real nature of the band has always been. So, my my learning with that band has been really the attention to detail. Sometimes, uh, Kurt, the band leader, would ask me to really um, some some things that to me maybe wouldn't make much of a difference difference, but then of course I would try them add a note here uh what about that little pad there after years i've been playing something I'm like well why are you asking me this you this you've heard this 200 times but then of course i would have to admit you know he, he was right that does make a difference that does add something that does shift things a little bit so it's a very delicate balance yeah and I, I'm very interested, as I said before, in the link with Kenny Aronoff, and I'm assuming it's that Midwestern link. Or, um, for those, again, who don't know Kenny Aronoff, he's uh, a huge drummer that's played with massive artists over the years, um, not least of which um, John Mellencamp, um, and is also, I'm mm -hmm. guessing, um, Stefano, as huge a personality as he comes across live so oh, yeah yeah so it just yeah. it, it seemed when i saw the great videos of you guys playing with kenny that it it's not the most <laughs> obvious fit of people but it works well so how, how did that relationship come across well kenny's been playing with that band consistently for pretty much the whole life of the band okay. and uh, being that bands that have been around for 30 plus years now obviously don't have uh, hardly you know, they might have maybe a couple of original members. Uh, Kenny is definitely one that's been there for the longest time, but because he has this huge personality on many levels, um, he he always is able to bring a particular charisma to that show and to add something 
yeah. you know, not only musically, but it, it's a presence. It's a thing that someone that's been around and that plays every day of the year with a different huge artist and goes on and off planes across the globe, it just has ingrained. He has that energy. I mean, I, I would say that for his age, which I'm not going to mention, uh, uh, he's definitely you know sometimes the young of us put together in there and uh the most energetic and that's something that has an impact on and off stage absolutely so obviously he's an asset whenever we can get him and he was for a couple of years touring with the band on a regular basis and now uh not so much but it's kind of kind of in and out you know depending on the shows and on his schedule and for anyone that wants to get an inkling of Kenny's personality, um, I will link in the show notes to Stefano's great video um, taken from a keyboard player's perspective. And you can see Kenny in the background uh, making his presence known. And then also, um, if you ever get a chance <laughs> sure. to watch the um, listeners... He's not shy. No, he's not shy. And if, if listeners uh, have Netflix watching the um, documentary Hide Guns, he features very prominently in that as well. And his mm-hmm. personality shines. That's well. right. Um, That's right. And then to, to take it from one extreme to another, from the Bodines to Jason Mraz. So I'd love to know how that came about, um, uh, you know, a, a much more contemporary, well, not a, a contemporary artist with a huge following um, and a very yeah. different style of music. So how did that come about? Yeah, I toured with Jason in 2010, 2011. Um, and... Uh, um, I was playing in this band, which is one of the one of the best memories I've have, I've had of being part of an ensemble on a creative level. This band named Boombox ATX, which was a, of about ten and to twelve elements. So let's say a, a cross between our Earth, Wind, and Fire, P Funk, Wanna Be, wow. with. Uh, <laughs> With some rappers in the front and uh, um, turntables, and we had this residency in Austin, Texas, on Tuesday nights at Lucky Lounge, and uh, it quickly became between 2005 and 2010. I was saying this five years. It became a thing, and a lot of artists that would uh, tour across town would come and sit in. It's obviously uh-huh. the most. Um, fun thing for someone to just come and bring their thing because we would definitely improvise uh what we were doing we show up and just come up with some something which is not the just the typical yeah let's jam on a chord all night and go in and out it was really a bit more subtle than that like horns would come up with it with phrases and then we would craft something around them it was a bit more you know, uh, evolved mm. than the classic let's jam on a pedal for 15 minutes. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, that was really a lot of fun and a lot of, uh, you know, something came out of it. We, we did a studio album, but you can imagine you know, something like that taken in the studio yeah. doesn't translate. Uh, it wasn't, uh, I still like that album, but I'm just saying it was a different thing to see that thing live. And, uh, Jason was playing with our horn section uh, that had been the groove line horns had been playing with uh, with him and other acts for many years now, and uh, eventually um, it came a point in which it was apparent that they he was willing to take he came to sit in with us and at that moment I think he he was attracted by that sound and mm. and that whole vibe and he basically hired the whole band or almost the whole band to back him up at a time where he probably needed a change with his old band. So we got hired as a group, as an ensemble, and we rehearsed for a whole summer, for a whole month, his show. And we came up with segues, we came up with arrangements, and would present them to him remotely, filming our rehearsals. And we were already a pretty tight ensemble, Mm -hmm. so that was a winning point. We knew each other. So there was a great chemistry on stage already, and uh, and then uh, we 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 just uh, started with this tour, and uh, the third gig was Capture Live without us knowing, 
which is the best thing that can happen to you. Because yes. <laughs> if you don't know you're being recorded, usually something great happens. That's right. And uh, and then they put out this um, this little live EP that that captures. It's called uh, um, Life Is Good, which is um, we was the Life Is Good festival in Boston, 2010. Gotcha. Yeah. And so you know, I have a great memory. But I would say about Jason that he's one of the best singer I've ever heard and seen perform uh his command his technique mm. his uh discipline before you know warm-ups and uh his deliver deliverance is, is detail potentially if you hear him sing you can always hear his words his lyrics mm. which is not always the, the case just nuances uh that have always blown me away yeah and uh and I, I've mentioned three artists, but I would love your perspective on which of the artists you've played with you've learnt the most from or gained the most from as a player. Well, out of these res- residencies I was uh, mentioning in Austin, uh, definitely I've played on a weekly basis from 2011 till probably 2017 when things then got a little busier with both with Bodines and I couldn't do that anymore, uh, with David Grissom. Are familiar with him is a guitar guitar player um, that has been involved with a number of acts and um, funny enough he grew up with uh, with Kenny Kenny Arnoff they both from uh, uh, I think let me let me think I don't want to say something wrong but I just know that they've known each other since they were in high school I think and they've been in oh yeah they played together with Melancom. Yeah. So okay. yeah, that's the story. And uh, for some reason, I started. I got involved with him also in, in 2011. We had this um, uh, this residency at the Saxon Pub in uh, in Austin on Tuesday nights, which is still going on. And uh, I learned a lot from David. David's been the a re- really um, A level um, um, sideman. He, he still is uh, for a number of acts. I can't even start mentioning names because, you know, I would get lost. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he's, he. I think uh, in the last few years he's been focusing on his solo gig. And uh, it's been great to be a sideman for someone that has been a sideman all his life mm-hmm. because he knows, I felt like, and uh, in that band, my playing has been mainly uh, B3. So okay. I would bring a North and I would bring a, a 122 every week, a Leslie 122 to connect the North, uh, um, to run the North through. Because also, I will mention that David Grissom uh, has, I would say, one of the best stones in the business. He has his own signature PRS guitar and there was no way to compared to that without bringing a Leslie, in my opinion. (laughs) So I've always done that on a weekly basis, and it was the only way to kind of, uh, you know. Uh, Okay, so the gig with David has been a mix of instrumental, like say an hour, hour and a half every week of instrument, very dedicated fan base, instrumentals, and uh, some sang. but the instrumentals were very jam-oriented, very free. And uh, I would say if there was one name that would come up in uh, how to approach that situation was Ben Montench. Oh, of course, yeah. So, yes, he would like that sort of support, not get too busy, not get too in the way, shine during your solo, and then yeah. basically act almost as a second guitar player. Um, and I learned a lot from that because it's a very subtle, um, interesting placement, mm. uh, that you can take as a keyboard player, especially rhythmic wise, uh, the rhythm, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my learning how to play rhythmically in a band has come from that gig. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's not only because of the quality of the band you're playing with, but because, as you said, it's very free-flowing, so you were needing to to learn on the fly, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, all these uh, situations are very um, 
self-explanatory, feel-oriented, non-discussed. So I, with David in, I don't know, seven years, we've probably rehearsed twice, okay. maybe three times. So it's all very uh, just kind of intuition on stage. And uh, you can tell if things worked or it worked a little less, yeah. if you know, we, the beauty, the beauty about a, a residency is that you can always fine tune and stretch some things week by week. And it's fun for you and it's fun for the audience. Yes. And the vibe that is on stage gets translated to the audience. I'm always a big believer of that at every gig. Mm, absolutely. Seems, seems uh, obvious, but it's one of the fundamental beliefs i have i mean whatever happens on stage you know if people are happy on stage the audience is happy and vice versa that's right exactly um and i I know you just mentioned stefano about um b3 so let's talk very briefly and um about gear so Mm -hmm. you you tend to be a a nord guy and and then uh, take a b3 here and there as you need to or backline it i assume if I can backline a B3, it would always be my first choice. Yeah. Uh, and it's been, it's been the backbone of a lot of these gigs. Even with Maraz, I had a B3 and I had a motif on top of it um, for um, piano, synths, occasionally a bit, mo- a bit more programming. Sometimes it was involved in there, like some arpeggiator that would get tricked. Yeah. But... More or less, there was always like a left hand on a on a B three pad going. Yeah, and um, you know, with B three, it's also interesting because through the years, I've always studied how people approach that big. Like, do you sit? Do you not sit? Do you stand? But then you've got the Leslie switch that is controlled by a foot, but the other foot's got to be on the gas. <laughs> how do you approach all that? Then you got another keyboard. You know, like. Uh, I, I it still is such an evolving depending on the situation what the key, what the gig needs I think it's very important always to have your own solid you know seating position because really I mean being comfortable at a gig is, is yeah it's fundamental if if there's something that where you know after the third song your back is hurting and you're all like yeah, it, that, that, that's a big uh, aspect that sometimes people don't go over. Like That's a really, I never really hear people point. talking about that no. aspect. And you're, you're the first person to raise that, but you're absolutely correct. The comfort thing, and I know personally for me with what I do, that yeah, sitting or standing makes a huge mm-hmm. difference to how that gig goes. Yeah, and I, I even realize like uh, now, you know, I'm at the age that I have, I'm trying to keep, you know, things stretchable here and in shape. <laughs> and I realized that uh, uh, sometime, you know, a whole 20 years of standing, basically balancing on one foot yeah. because the other foot is on the sustain pedal. Yeah, maybe it's done something here. Exactly. <laughs> maybe I need to work on that a little bit because yeah. no, <laughs> I can right. feel it. Yeah, it Sometimes. has an impact. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, re- that's a yeah. really interesting point. And while, while we're just on, on keyboards, I mean, have you encountered any yeah. technically challenging moments? So when you've been out on tour or at a residency, um, technically challenging moments that you think might amuse someone listening? Like the biggest train wreck? Yeah, I've biggest, yeah biggest train. Actually, that's a really good way of putting it. The biggest train wreck. Tell us about your biggest train wreck. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. Train, biggest train wreck... I can tell you that one of the scariest moments, uh, I have two, I have two right. scariest moments. One has been, okay, I was touring with this artist named Christian Castro, which I, is a pop artist from, um, I think it's, yeah, he's from Mexico, but anyway, m- Mexican pop. And uh, um, we had tracks, and you know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We had tracks right in the back with uh, something pre-recorded. The tracks that were basically the Miami Symphony part okay. that, of course, I wasn't even trying to replicate. So, oh, no, let's use the tracks mm. a lot better. <laughs> and I'll play the, you know, my piano parts on them. But for some reason, uh, this big introduction to this 
nice ballad did not start something went wrong something was not coming out so the song would start like that everyone's waiting we are waiting <laughs> the audience is waiting he's waiting nothing happens nothing happens all of a sudden of course he turns he looks at me and he's like please <laughs> start a song <laughs> and that's like terrifying yeah. which means you find you you know you find your best string patch you can possibly throw together in three seconds <laughs> click on it hope for the best and play that part that you know miami symphony part whatever you can throw together there and hope for the best and, and it actually was okay because that was a gig that um was very well rehearsed mm. so thank god it wasn't anything to but I'm just trying to to say, you know, at a certain level of gig, that can become almost expected to happen. Yes. So you got to show up with, I think at one point in my rehearsals, I did, well, let me try this because you never know, you know. So I probably did play that part maybe twice yes. or three times. <laughs> Thankfully. And uh, that kind of saved the whole thing. And another time... I just remember being in front of this uh, audience and, and uh, it was just a piano and vocal performance of uh, For All We Know, Roberta Fleck, yep. Donny Hathaway version, which is a beautiful, beautiful ballad that, you know, you want to play and play all the nuances and interpret it very relaxed. And I just, <laughs> I looked in my pocket and... I can't find my chart, oh, which no. I had there folded. And I, I had nothing memorized. No. So this happened, maybe I had just like one minute of desperation of running out of the door and kind of track my, my path to the car to see if it <laughs> fell out. And, and it actually did fell out. And it was there in the grass. And wow. I picked it up and I kind of like kissed it a little bit. And put it back on the stand and went back in. Everyone will probably wonder what happened. But that was another that's terrifying it, moment. I, I, I've broken out into a sweat just on hearing those two stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think all keyboard players can, can relate. Um, and probably one last question related to that is just as a keyboard player, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? I think you, you sort of covered it with Steve Miller to some extent about listening to mm -hmm. what the person is telling you and, and also reading behind the lines. But what, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a keys player over the years in relation to gigging or, or playing more generally? I would say listen is the listen is really the the one if you had to take one thing that you're supposed to do in this job it's listen open your ears which means listen to everything when it's when people are playing on stage when you are in the studio and people are communicating observe listen just study the situation and try to bring your best self there and also, you know, with a relaxed attitude, without being too, mm -hmm. you know, weird. Uh, so mm, listen to what's going on and react to it in the way that your experience uh, tells you. Um, I would say, you know, listen to your gut feeling of what's required there. Yeah. And, uh, and do not, by all means, try to be what you're not, mm. you know. I do not try to do over-virtuoso things that do not belong to my language. I know what my strengths are. I try to develop them. I try to reinforce them, but I do not try to be something I'm not because it, the audience can tell yeah. and your peers can tell, the band can tell, everyone can tell when you're lying, like when you're saying something Basically, I treat my playing as speaking to an audience. It's not that different. It's just a different language. But people can probably tell when you're lying or when you're not being genuine or when you're not being honest. Yeah. So you try to convey a message that something you believe in, 
It's just something you feel passionate about. And it's basically the same concept. That, yeah, that's, that's excellent insights. And usually I would ask what's come, coming up for you in the, in the next year or so, but I'm guessing that's a little bit um, uncertain with everything that's going on. But, I mean, feel free to talk about Oh, for about, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, if there's something you do want to mention about coming up in the next year, go for it. But otherwise, I can understand how you I don't know. Architecture know. school? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No. No, well, uh... I guess uh, okay. When when things will go back to normal, we're supposed to resume our touring schedule with Bodines. Yeah. So um, that's going on, and uh, I would say that in the meanwhile, I'm trying to keep busy with uh, recording from home, working on some of my solo stuff, which uh, I've never put anything out under my name and i don't know if that will ever happen i'm hoping so mm. i still don't know in what form obviously i have things in the work but um you know it's um dedicating time to a solo project yeah. it's not something you just throw there i think you have to really think it well and especially in uh in where today i mean where the numbers are today in our industry it almost doesn't make sense to put anything That's out right. but so whatever you put out you want to think very and how you know so yeah. how you spend your energy so um i would say yeah touring uh probably some i would like to do something that i've never done on a regular basis which is more teaching okay um and now it's something that uh, that actually might be a good time to mm-hmm. to experiment with being that um a lot of people are stuck at home and That's right. there's a lot of online action. I think you would have a lineup of people of that, I have no doubt. Um, <laughs> and then our last question, Stefano, is um, our traditional one, which is Desert Island Discs. So what we ask each guest to do is list five albums they couldn't live without. All right. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Well, first of all, albums. Um, you can no, have, you can have greatest hits and we, we even allow box sets if you want to get really... Um, I was going to say, are there albums still? Yeah, because well, there is CDs, that. CDs, like what, what would I bring with me? Would I bring a player? You yeah. know, that's interesting. But anyway, probably LPs and a... Yeah, and a, let's assume that. And a record yeah. player, I would say. Yeah. Well... Um, there's a there's a trio that I feel a great connection with, and I've always felt this great connection. Never get tired of them, and it's the Esbjorn Svensson trio okay. out of Sweden. He's a wonderful piano player that unfortunately passed in 2008 at a fairly young age, but um, it's Esbjorn Svensson trio is 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 my go-to still. I don't know. It always sounds fresh, right. incredible ensemble. And there's a live in Hamburg that is one that I'm really drawn to. Okay. Uh, so that's one. Uh, from the same area, so Northern Europe, uh, for some reason I have a lot of attraction from a lot of music that comes from there. I've, I've had it through the years. There's another piano player producer that I really like named Buke Vesseltoft. Okay. And Buke, um, there's a there's a he's a he's a both a wonderful acoustic piano player but also synth wizard okay. so uh he has this two opposite and equally great personality but there's this one album that is just him on acoustic piano and playing christmas songs it's called it's snowing on my piano okay and that album also has a spell on me for some reason okay. so great. that's number two um let's see because here's a lot to cover <laughs> uh some Bach probably great I would not know what to pick obviously but I'll probably um I'll just leave it at that yeah, yeah. some Bach <laughs> uh Chikoria Chikoria has yeah, been my number one piano player i guess from growing up and all is is such a 360 mm. keyboard artist 
and he he always says that he doesn't define music by genres and he, he impersonates that i just i love chick yeah. and he's actually doing right now every night uh online um he, he basically opens the studio and he's practicing there for an hour every evening is wonderful it's like at night 27 or something right. and shows everyone what he's working on it's really cool yes Absolutely. So Chick Corea, maybe there's a there's a quartet that I like named Time Warp from okay. mid '90s that we like, and the last one I'll take some James Brown. James Brown, great call, because I <laughs> I think James Brown is just at the the cornerstone of so much in our in our music in our culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Like maybe In the Jungle Groove is an album that that I like. Just straight grooves, you know, like Stubblefield. Just, yeah, that is also something that I would not get tired of. And would, sure. would, would you have enjoyed playing for him? Obviously, there's the thrill of playing for uh, James Brown in his band, but I've heard also oh my God. incredibly demanding... Yes, talk about listen. I would have taken the risk <laughs> of being, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to you say know no. playing those three notes for for an hour and do not move. That's, like yes, I would have. I would have right. totally loved. Yeah, the a, hypnotic, absolutely beautiful. Um, and that's probably feeling a, a nice note to end on as far as. Um, I can imagine you pulling that off with James Brown for, for an hour easily because it's obvious from your your history that you, you fit in extremely well with a whole range of, of styles and that's based obviously on your discipline and your approach and can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very honoured. Thank you. So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stefano. Um, I know I enjoy the hell out of doing it with him. Uh, and also a huge thanks to Joe on the musicplayer.com forums for suggesting Stefano as a guest. Um, it was certainly a bit of a thrill. As you heard, I was a bit of a Bodine's fan or am a Bodine's fan for many, many years. So great to talk to someone that's in the middle of all that. So as always, we'll be back in around a fortnight's time, but just a reminder that you can keep in touch via a few means. Um, our website obviously is at www.keyboardchronicles.com. We're on Facebook at The Keyboard Chronicles or on Twitter at The Keyboard CHR1. If you'd like good old-fashioned email, then as always, drop us a line at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. So again, a huge thanks to our guest, Stefano, and more importantly, thanks to you for listening, and I hope to see you back here next episode. (laughs) 